This is the Tribune Audio Network. Hi. 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 Need to do it. <laughs> Usually it is me first. I know. Hmm. This is Sim. Survive. And repeat. We like to drink wine. Oh, we sure do. We like to tell survival stories. We sure do. And we like to do it week after week. Every freaking week. Woohoo! It's almost a freaking weekend. I'm about to have it some fun. I probably shouldn't sing that. I have to be honest with you. I just watched Surviving R. Kelly on Netflix. Oh, I haven't seen it. I heard it's insane. It's insane I mean, he's a terrible man he's right? a terrible person yeah i kind of figured that yeah but i watched some minis episode it wasn't that but it was something similar and i was like wow he's a freak yeah like insane in a bad way in a very bad way because it's with underage girls too yeah. like he would hunt he'd hang out at malls and high schools to find girls to take with him like dude you got a problem yeah if you're doing that in your pastime, you got a problem. Mm-hmm. So all I can say is, <laughs> I like that song, but, but now you're not I can't promoting play him. It. Yeah, it's like how I can't play Chris Brown anymore. Can't do Just it because he had to go beat up Rihanna. It's fine. It's fine. Whatever. I mean, it's not fine. It's, it's awful. Not. It's a- okay. Right. But it's fine. Like I won't listen to your music. Goodbye. Right. Um. Okay. Anyway, so I was just telling Danelle and Kenny about my. This is Jenny, by the way, if you don't know our voices. I don't know. I have the nasally annoying voice, and Danelle's voice sounds like butter. Oh. Um, <laughs> Mine sounds like, yeah, that sounds like butter. Like <laughs> butter. Um, I'm having a lot of health issues. <laughs> Jenny's kind of, she's I'm falling apart. you got some stuff going on. Well, the good news is, so I thought last Friday I was, uh, I thought I was going blind. So I don't, did I tell yes. you this story? Yes. Okay, so I and basically... I uh, worked on PowerPoint all day with my boss. That was very important. We had to get it to um, a sports team. And we're like doing this all day. And my eyes were getting really dry and irritated. And I, I wear glasses when I'm at work. So I have my glasses on. I still have them on right now, which is shocking. Good. Um, and then that night, my stepdaughter said, hey, can we watch a Christmas movie? And I was like, sure. Let's do this thing. What Christmas movie? Christmas with the Cranks. Okay. Good movie. Never seen it. Oh, it's good. You should watch is it. it? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's got Tim Allen in it. Oh, I love Tim Allen. Tim the Toolman Taylor. Um, So (laughs) then uh, uh, I'm sitting on the couch and I turn Netflix on the TV, the smart TV. And I look at that point, I didn't know what we were going to watch. So I just went over to search. (laughs) When I looked at the TV, I couldn't read any of the words. That's the problem. They They were all blurry. And I looked at my stepdaughter and she's 10 and I go, hey, can you can you read the TV, is it blurry for you too? And she's like, no. I'm like, cool, 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 cool. Um, like, I'm going to call my dad. Jenny's dad's an eye doctor. <laughs> so, so I made her pick and then she picked and I clicked on it when she told me when to stop. <laughs> and then I called, well, I texted my dad and was like, I'm going blind. Help me, help me. So <laughs> what do I do? My eye doctor dad came to the rescue and he gave me an exam on a Sunday and he actually said my vision got better, but he said I'm aging, which is obviously a natural process. But you can't stare at something all day and then stare at something else at night, like at a different distance yeah. and like all that. He was just like, your eyes just don't adjust like they used to. And I'm like, well, that's lame. And you're in front of a computer all day, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So that'll yeah. do her. That was a more intense day than usual, though. So he said your eyes were probably really dry and they were really focused on a screen that was probably 
two feet from your face. And you've been really tired, so get into the... Yes. Oh, so I've been really tired, so I went to the doctor. I was telling Janelle and Kenny a very scary story where I was driving home from an appointment because we're all in sales, and it was like an hour away, so it was a long drive, and when I got home, I was so tired. I couldn't even handle it. I pulled into my driveway. I put my car in park, and I just closed my eyes and fell asleep in my driveway. No. Fell asleep in my driveway because I couldn't even fathom getting out of the car and get into the house on a couch or a bed to lay down. I just had to close my eyes immediately when it was safe to do so. And obviously, Danelle and Kenny said that's not normal. Red flag, yeah. (laughs) So um, I went to the doctor, and I am uh, slightly anemic, which I guess can cause you to be tired. And also, she said my glucose was high, which I was like, God damn it. But what did you eat this morning before you went to the doctor? No, it wasn't this morning. I oh, went before you went to the doctor. No, no, it was no two no, days I, ago. I was just say I don't remember what I ate, but I said it's like I could have just eaten a donut and then I would have shown up and they would have been like high glucose. They have to do like another test to see if it's like pre diabetic, like intense test. Yeah, right? like that can yeah. go back in time and like see how my glucose levels have gone over time. Well, keep us posted. I will, but it, there is diabetes that runs in my family, or is that guy on TV like say diabetes? Diabetes. Um, so I'm not to make fun of it. I know it's a terrible disease, but. So I'm, I'm at risk already. So I'm like, damn it. And I love carbs. And carbs are basically just like eating fucking sugar. I know. So I know. Anyway. Anywho, have yeah. some wine and relax. <laughs> yeah, there's no sugar in wine, right? <laughs> totally just, fine. You know, keep drinking wine and you'll be fine. <laughs> All right. What's this wine, Kenny? Why don't you tell us since it's, we're still, we stole it from Kenny's girlfriend. All time low. Uh, it's a Malbec. I believe she got it Aldi called Ivanta. From 2018. Mm. Argentina. There's, uh, it's very smooth. I like it. Yeah, it's not too bad. There's a lot of um, mountains on the uh, the label. Mm-hmm. I like it. And, ooh, Mendoza. I know somebody with the last name, Mendoza. Oh. Anywho. Great. It's delicious. What's going on with you? Anything? No, we decorated for Christmas this weekend. Oh, so jealous. This is really exciting. Mm-hmm. How well, does Callie like Christmas? She doesn't care. Okay. She what about the cat? The cat's not into the tree, thankfully, Good. as of yet. What's his name again? Is it a real Mo. tree or not? Mo. It's a fake tree. Okay. So Callie's allergic to pine needles and Todd is allergic to real trees. So we have a fake tree. Fine. Great. Whatever. Great. So we went, did a little shopping, bought some Christmas decorations. Oh, I went to a football game on Saturday. What football game? Penn State. Great. Mm. Go uh, Nittany Lions, apparently. Wow. We left at halftime because I was like, I'm cold. <laughs> it's I'm, cold up north, I'm people. I'm cold and I've had two gallons of hot chocolate. Apparently, you can't drink in the stadium. Oh, that's the rudest. That's that why you have to thing? pregame. Wait, what's, what stadium were you in? The Penn, We went to Penn State. It's only a couple hours away. Interesting. I didn't know that. You cannot drink in the I stadium. I knew like there was... You well, can if you have a flask. You can, so the guy next to us had a flask and I was like, damn it, I just didn't prepare. Come on. I, I think prepare. like the SEC or ACC, like you're not allowed to drink, but I thought Big Ten stadiums you could. Like Ohio State, I heard you can. Ooh. I've never been to like a Big Ten game. Yeah. When I went so, to a Big Ten game, I was like eight. Maction games drink all day. Yeah. Because there's... Because yeah. I mean, it's Maction. It was cool to see. It was huge and there were a lot of people there and it was great. But at halftime, I was like, done. I'm done. This has been great. Let's go. It's cold. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Okay. I did that on Saturday, Christmas decorating, and hit up a yoga class. I did a Pilates class last night. Oh. I can't move today. The lady kept telling me which ways to fix my body because I wasn't doing anything right. It was great. 
great. I didn't do anything right. Your face does class. not say that, but it's great. I was like, mm. and the girl in front of me had a very interesting tattoo. I was staring because a lot of times you're like staring at the other person's back in front of you and their butts. Uh huh. And she had um, a female reproductive system on her arm, tattooed on her arm. Is she going to make babies with her arm? I don't know. I wanted to ask her about it, but class how, ended. How and big she, was it? It was about five inches. That's a big, big, it's a big so it was ovaries. A, and I was going to say, was it a uterus? And you, yeah, it was, it was a uterus. Maybe she's like a OBGYN. Maybe she is. I know I wanted to ask her about it, but I didn't get a chance. Okay. If you anyway, see her again, that's what's going on in my life. Great. It's exciting. Kenny, yeah. it's a birthday. Monday. Big birthday. Well, so when this at, comes at, out, it will have been yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. So get excited. Kenny's going to be... <gasps> 25 oh 25 so young so young i don't know that's over the hill untrue you're at the top of the hill until you start passing out in your car from driving (laughs) you're not old i think 35 you're like you're not old but you're just like you're kind of like yeah you're almost there shit's hurting now So i got 10 more good years you got 10 more good you're at the peak you're at your peak kenny okay this is peak life maybe not i don't know but it could be can't, so can't wait to peak this next year. Twenty five <laughs> was a great year for me. So I think twenty seven was my fave. Was it? Yeah, I don't know why. I think thirty was my best year. Thirty, I was going through some shit. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thirty was good for me. No, twenty seven for me. You <sighs> got basically, Kenny. You got good years coming ahead of you. Is what we're saying. Yeah, good to know. Good. Yeah. Um, all right, should we do some survival stories? Let's do it, Kenny. Who do you want to go first? Uh, let's go Jenny first this Ooh. week. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Ow, ow, okay. Ow. Okay, I don't know what's. I do know what's wrong with me. Okay, me and Kenny had two glasses of wine before we started this podcast, so Danelle's catching up. Okay, Danelle has to finish two glasses in the time Jenny tells her story. Great, I'll be slurring my words. <laughs> Get ready. I'm getting a facial after this, so I have to take it easy. I think you have to guzzle it. <laughs> That's more of a reason to drink. No, you yeah. don't want the. It doesn't it with your blood, guys. Oh, yeah. I'm making that up. I don't know. I just feel like it's not. I've good never gotten anyway. a facial, so I don't. I don't know what it involves. Well, you're only tw- going to be 25, so wait. You have time. You'll get one. Okay. Okay. My story is the survival story of John All. Okay. A L L. Oh, something I could pronounce. John All. Um. Okay. <laughs> So this is from Reader's Digest. Oh, I love pulling from the RD, Reader's Digest. Okay. So I'm going to read this first sentence because I just really like it. Okay. John All unzipped his tent, poked his shaggy blonde head out into the thin alpine air, and took in the view. Oh, John. Oh, John. What are you doing? (laughs) Um, So it was just before 10 a.m. and he was on Mount Himlung. It's, it's in the Himalayas. Exciting. I know exactly where that is. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, he was 44 years old, yeah. and he had come to Nepal because he was trying to research snow to see how pollution was affecting, like, snow caps and things like that, like, if it was being absorbed into, like, the water source. Okay. What year was this? Um, oh, you can, you can answer me later. Just... Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. 2014. Um, he had two climbing partners that had, uh, come down with him, uh, but they had retreated down to their base camp, which I guess is of lower elevation and has more supplies, um, because one of them was recovering from a stomach bug. Like, you don't want to have diarrhea and vomit at a high high altitude. altitude. No, you don't. No, thank you. (gasps) No, you really don't. So, um, all was now all alone. 
<laughs> Sorry, I'm just picturing you burping at a high altitude. <laughs> Don't do it. Sorry, okay, go. Okay. Uh, There's was- a story behind that, people. We'll tell you some other time. <laughs> Um, we can just sidebar. Uh, I don't know how to burp, and I recently started needing to, and so the only way I can make myself do it is to come from the depths of my belly and do it of like... her loins. It's basically like, sounds like I'm about to puke, and sometimes some puke comes up. So I just did it, and that's the first time Kenny ever heard it. Danelle has heard it before. There was fear in his eyes. It was a little gross. I thought she was puking. <laughs> I wasn't. I barely made it to the bathroom. I thought the burp went wrong. And I was like, that's not, that's not what it's supposed to sound like. <laughs> Things are going wrong. This is not normal. Okay, sorry. Untrue. Go. That is not what happened. It was just the way I burped, which is why I can't do it in public. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, so he's at 20,000 feet. And he knows that climbing solo in the Himalayas is kind of a big no-no. Um, but he wanted to remain cautious. He wanted to stick near his camp. Smart. Uh, but he wanted to start collecting samples because he's very worried about pollution. He's like, guys, we're here for a reason. Right. Get these samples. But first, priorities, he's dying for a cup of coffee. I mean, I understand that. So he grabbed his snow axes. Uh, fancy. Uh And he started walking toward a flat area that was just a short distance away um, that looked like an ideal spot to gather fresh snow to melt for water. Which when I first read this, I was like, now, didn't we just say that this is all polluted? Didn't we just talk about that? Do you really want to drink this? Is that what you want to do? But hey, I'm not John All. He's researching But if you boil it, it takes all the pollution out, right? Yeah. Does it? It does. Yeah, that like I mean, I know it kills like microbes, but... I don't, I, I there's dirt in there. I think it's just going to be do, dirty do, do, boiled do, do, do. water. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> That's a good point. I have no idea. Neither do I. Okay. Uh, he said this morning it was between 25 and 30 degrees. And he said after weeks at high elevation, it was pretty much balmy. 25 to 30 felt real warm to oh, him. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he dressed lightly. He had on wind pants, okay. a thin jacket over a t-shirt, and hiking boots with crampons. So not tampons, crampons. What's that? Looked it up. Good. They are the things you put over your boots that have little like spiky doos. Oh, okay. So you can walk through the snow and ice, and it kind of like gives you um, traction, like a grip. And there's like things on the on the front and the sides to like so you can you can dig it in. So basically, I was just warmer on Saturday for the Penn State game than he was in the Himalayan Mountains. Yes, got it. I was wearing like thermals. But you pussed out and had to leave. Halftime. Thermals. <laughs> he had a t-shirt, coat. wind pants, and a, yeah. and a w- okay. windbreaker on. So he's a badass. Yeah. Got it. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, so he had his crampons on. Sorry. I just like that word. Uh, and then he took a step and then another. And suddenly the ground gave way beneath no. him. And he plunged into darkness. Oh. Uh-oh. So not water. Darkness. No. Darkness. Okay. All's face smashed into something as he plummeted downward. He instinctually reached out his right hand, trying to jab one of his axes into the ice mm-hmm. as he slowly made his way down. But the weight of his body falling was too great, and it wrenched his arm right out of the socket. Oh, no. God, that's going to hurt. That's going to leave a mark. Um, so he was careening against icy walls, and he th- he was picking up speed. Like, this was a big situation. And a long drop. Yes. Um so he said he realized with horror once he hit the bottom what had happened. He had stepped into a crevice, or as I like to call it, a crevasse. A, 
a crevasse. <laughs> a crack that had opened up in the glacier and it extended down uh-uh. to who knows how deep. So he's basically in a crevice in a glacier. He's stuck in a crack. Yeah. He's stuck in some of, he's stuck he's in the in earth's crack. butt crack. He's in the butt crack of the earth. <laughs> Correct. Oh man, that's yeah. dark. <laughs> he said, how did I make this mistake? Then he had another thought. There's no way I can survive this crevasse fall. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So um, his right side slammed into something hard and his fall stopped with a crunch of bones. Mm. He thought, I'm dead. Immediately. But then he said, I felt my lungs heaving to get more air. And he said um, he was straining to suck wind back into his body because it got knocked out of him. Um, But every time he took a big breath, there was excruciating pain. And he looked down and saw his legs hanging over a chasm. What's that? Like a bigger drop off. Okay. Like (gasps) basically what had happened. So he looked up and he could see a pale halo of the blue light, blue white light from the sky. Um, and he said he was about seven stories below. Seven stories? Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Um, he could see where he had punched through the crust of the snow. Um, there was like a thin sheet of ice that was holding the snow up. But when he stepped on it, he went right through it. Um, the entire right side of his body had been crushed mm. and he couldn't move. But for now, he was alive. Congrats, John All. And who is ever going to find you? Exactly. I mean, well, here comes here comes the shitty part. Oh. I mean, other than the fact that he probably just like crushed other, other one side of his body. Other than the fact that he's in a crack. Other than the fact that he's in Earth's butt crack. <laughs> John All was not supposed to be on Mount Himlung. A month earlier, he had been on Mount Everest base camp sharing black tea with a young Sherpa. Ooh. His name was Osman Tamang, a shy father of a nine-month-old. Um, he was climbing Everest for the first time and... All teased him, saying that he would make record speed up the mountain. Um, All had climbed Everest before, but this time he was leading an expedition of scientists, again, to collect evidence of black dust. So he said they were looking for emissions from factories that were thousands Mm -hmm. of miles away to prove that their emissions were actually harming the environment, even though it was thousands of miles he was a professor, All was a professor at Western Kentucky University, and the mountains were a second home. So he really liked going out there. But on the morning of April 18th, he woke to the ground rumbling. This is again on um, Mount Everest. Okay. Excuse me. An ice shelf had collapsed, and it sent a chunk of ice the size of an apartment building down the side of the mountain. 16 16 climbers were killed, including Asmen Tamang, the guy who had the nine-month-old. The shy guy. The Sherpa. Mm. And that was his first... That was his first Everest climb. Mm. So... Um, Everest and another mountain nearby, Lahost, were shut down for the season. Mm-hmm. So he took a week and he mourned the loss of the Sherpa that he had befriended. And then him and two partners headed out to Mount Himlung to continue their work. So, like, his partners knew where he was. But again, they're down at the base camp. Like, yeah. they aren't coming back for a no day or two. what happened. I mean. <clears throat> no. They have no clue. Okay. So he's, ooh, 70 feet deep in the earth. Yikers. He was gasping for breath, and he tried to gather his thoughts. Um, he said, climbers fall into crevasses, <laughs> crevices all the time. <laughs> Sorry. But those who survive usually fall only a short way. Not 70 feet. And they're not usually by themselves, and they certainly aren't badly injured. So he's got, like, three strikes against him. Yeah. It's, it's looking bad. Um, he knew of only one person who had made it through such a long fall and climbed out by himself. That person was Mountaineer Joe Simpson, who had survived a fall in Peru. 
Uh, and he said, I would be the second one to try. So he's like, oh, I'm going to do it. this. Okay. So he starts looking around and he realized that he wasn't on a shelf, but he was on a chunk of ice that had become wedged in that part of the crevice. Okay. So like the glacier, I don't know how much you guys know about glaciers, but they're like moving. So much. Like you okay. don't see it because they're so huge, mm-hmm. but they're moving a lot all the time. Okay. So he's saying with this ever shifting glacier, how long is this piece of ice I'm sitting on? gonna stay wedged in here got it because that crevice can change shape and move and Mm -hmm. expand and he could continue falling um so he started rocking his body slightly to test his limitations i'm like that sounds like a terrible plan i would just lay there still right um but he said what happened when he started kind of wiggling around is that there were jolts of pain um they were so bad that they left him dizzy so he was in a lot of pain he didn't know at the time, but he had 15 broken bones in total. And it's cold. Yeah, it's cold as fuck. And it's going fuck. to get colder. Yes. Um, he had ribs on his right side that were completely shattered, mm. making every breath he took agony. Um, he, he knew his abdomen felt sore and stiff, which he knew meant that he had internal bleeding. Um, he had a coppery taste in his mouth, which means that you could have a kidney or liver damage. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. okay. You guys, copper taste, kidney, liver. I'm okay? good. Not right now. I'm good right now. I'd mostly just taste Malbec. <laughs> Thank Whew. God. Whew. And a little bit of the puke that I burped up tasted earlier. when I burped. Okay. Anywho. <laughs> Sorry. In the Thanksgiving okay. dinner you had prior. <laughs> I did. I had meatloaf that was made out of turkey and cornbread. Mm. It was Talk so dirty to me. good. Yes. And it had this nice gravy on it. And then it was atop a bed of cranberry sauce. Oh. <laughs> okay. It almost, it took all almost 10 minutes uh, to wrench himself upright. And he started to squirm over to a secure perch on the block of ice he was sitting on. Um, he, every move he made, made him like out of breath and tired and in pain. Um, and he could feel the icy air blowing up from below the crevasse. And he said it was very, very cold. And he was like, I'm going to start freezing to death. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, I'm going to freeze to death. Because mm-hmm. he's not wearing enough clothes and there's no way to keep himself warm down there. Um, it is now 4 p.m. and shadows are being cast by the high mountain peaks. And he was going to be left in the dark soon and he wouldn't be able to climb. So he decided that he had to make something happen. He said he had roughly six hours to make it to the surface and back to his tent or There's he would die. No way. Don't even tell me he does in six hours. Get ready. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. All as a researcher, like I said, he works at that university in Kentucky, is that what I said? Um, he makes a record of everything he does. So he reached into his pocket and he brought out his camera and pressed record. <laughs> so he recorded a message. Um, he said, thank God I stopped on this ledge, but how do I get back up? Um... So he said, um, he, he looked over to one side and he saw that part of the crevice was about eight feet, like wide. Okay. But then he, a couple hundred feet away, he saw where there was a fissure that was much narrower. Okay. So it, like the crevice or the crevasse, as I like to call it, got more narrow at one point. So he figured if he could get himself across those couple hundred feet to that mm-hmm. skinnier part he could chimney crawl his way up so basically like use your hand like put your butt against the wall and use your hands and feet to like shimmy up do you know what i'm saying 
pretend you're sitting on your butt, mm-hmm. but you're just pressing your butt against the wall and your feet are on the ice and your hands are on the ice. That's no. That's y- yes. I, yes. Oh, okay. He's going to chimney his way up. Oh my God. That's what he said. Now you have to remember that the actual like part that he's on is not hundreds of feet long. So he's basically going to have to like shimmy along sheer ice with his, um, his crampons, his crampons and his axes. And remember, he only has one good arm because he pulled the other one out of the and socket. The force you, you would need to like break into that ice to hold yourself up and to have a, like. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, here we go. <sighs> Al kicked the points of his crampons into the ice until they held. I keep wanting to be like his tampons. Tampons. Okay, with his left hand, his good his good arm, mm-hmm. he planted one axe at eye level. Then he reached the same hand across his body to plant another axe as far to the right as possible. So he's using his one good arm to like axe, axe. axe. So then he can like shuffle his feet. Insane. And scoot over, and then he can grab the first axe and move it over. So. Just, just so. chugging is fine. That's fine. So clutching the first axe, he shuffled his feet to the right, kicked his crampons into the ice, shifted his weight, grabbed the second axe, again with his left hand. His body was screaming in pain, but he had moved. He made a move. Now he just had to do it a few thousand more times. He's like, now just a million more times. N-B-D. No big deal. Let's do this. Stab with the axe, kick his feet, shift his weight, repeat. All was free climbing inside the crack of the mountain. So he's at this point moving away from the safety of that ice like boulder that was and if wedged he falls in there. Again, he could roll off the. No, if he falls again, he's going to go deep into the crevasse Whoa. and die because there's nothing below him at this point. Mm-hmm. So over the years, he had uh, he found that he functioned functioned well in dangerous situations. Uh, for example, he had a tattoo of a black mamba on his calf, a token of the time he had kicked a six-foot-long poisonous snake in Botswana before it could bite him. Can you imagine? No. Very poisonous snake coming at you. You just kick it. No, you don't kick it. What the fuck? I'd get a tattoo of that on me, too, if I did that. Yeah, I mean, I'd be like, guess what I did. So he's good under pressure. Yeah, he's good under pressure. (laughs) Um, So he, he chose to make this an academic puzzle. It was a question of geometry. And I would like to say, if I'm ever in a situation where there's a question of geometry... I'm going to die. I'm dead already. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I passed geometry by cheating. So. So wrong to know. I know. But it's, it was the only way, guys. It's fine. It really was. Stab, kick, shift, repeat. Stab, kick, shift, repeat. Uh, at times, the ice gave way beneath Al, Al's, or Al, <laughs> Al's crampons. Crampons. Sending chunks of the wall tumbling into the chasm below. Mm. But his axe held him tight. So his shoe thingy majings weren't always like the best, mm-hmm. but his axes he could get them in deep with that left that left working arm. So um, after about half an hour, he reached a slab of ice and he rested gratefully, gulping the meat locker cold air into his lungs. Again, great writing, Reader's Digest. God, Reader's Digest. Ooh, um, meat locker cold. <laughs> uh. So he knew that if he didn't make his way out, his body would likely remain there for years. So he was worried that people would find him and be like, look at this Yahoo who was hiking alone. But he wasn't. He didn't mean to. Anyway, he started moving again after he took a, uh, a little respite there. 
Um, and then he found uh, something to fix his eyes on, which was the next ice block. It was about 50 feet to his right. Again, 50 feet. And he's 70 feet total, so. Yeah. So a jolt of inexpressible pain struck, and he looked down and saw the void beneath him. Don't look oh, down. Don't look. Don't look don't down. Don't do it. <laughs> and he said, it went through my mind again, I'm going to die. He thought of a 67-year-old mother, and he imagined how sad she would be receiving the news. Mm. Then he gathered himself again, and he forced himself, stabbing the axe back into the wall. And he said the edges of the crevasse were narrowing. <laughs> I like every time I say cravat, you guys laugh. It's great. Uh, the surface of the walls uh, was a tangle of icy protrusions and deceptively fragile crystalline formations. <laughs> like, this sounds terrible. And he said his fingers were starting to freeze up, and he, st- he slowly kept climbing upward. Um, so he was, he was making it happen. The chimney up the I'm picturing Santa up the, skinny, up the chimney. Yeah. Imagine if he didn't have a way to, like, just, you know, magically get up, mm-hmm. how you would have to shimmy up. It's basically what he's doing. Uh, the crevasse was tight enough for him to chimney his way up and he braced his back against the wall and it was stab, kick, shift, repeat. Stab, kick, shift, repeat. Um, he said time moves strangely, strangely in the crevasse. <laughs> it was marked by uneven breaths, but he was making progress. So after four hours oh. in the crevasse, all could see the glow of the sun beneath a thin crust of snow. Mm. So he finally made it up, and there was like a little, again, snow. So close. Like right there. So he swung his axe upward, and he broke through. And a tiny patch of blue sky shone down on him. (laughs) So uh, he cleared the snow, made the hole wider, and he had the distinct feeling that he had just dug himself out of his own grave, is basically what he said. Um, He... <clears throat> he hauled himself up, which I'm like, how with one arm? I can I can't even do that with two arms. You should see I, me in a pool. No. You should see me in a fucking pool trying to get out now. <laughs> I mean, I'm buoyant and I can't get You're out. Like, <laughs> it's like it's like a whale. You're like ceiling up to the. <laughs> Just give me the steps. Yeah, don't even. I'm Come not going to pull myself out. Come on. Um. So he he staggered to his feet, but he immediately collapsed again because he realized he couldn't walk. He could barely get to his knees. So um, he really realized at that point how hurt he was. So he had kind of not realized it so much mm-hmm. during the initial part when he just had to get out. Um, he said in the Himalayas, death from hypothermia comes quickly. And he said, I was a three-minute walk from my tent. That's it? But it might as well have been three miles. <gasps> um, but he kept telling himself, you didn't come this far to not push it. I would have rolled. Well, he went the short distance, and it took him, th- or I'm sorry, two hours. What? Two hours to crawl a three-minute walk back to his tent because he was in so much pain. Was it like a quarter mile or something? Probably. Jeez. A three-minute walk? Took two hours of crawling. Damn. Okay. So it was late afternoon, and shadows were deepening, and he finally fell into the tent. Uh, he had a handheld satellite communicator, so that was good. It's not like a cell phone, though. You can't call people on it. Um, so what he did is it's a walkie-talkie-sized machine, and he could only send messages. So at that moment, he was connected to Facebook. Oh, oh hey, Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, hey. Um, and so he was connected to Facebook of the page of an organization he had founded, called, or co-founded, the American Climber Science Program. And he was like, oh, shit, no one in America that I know on this page is going to be awake. It's 4 a.m. in America, at least where he was in Kentucky. Well, he decided to try anyway, so he put a message that said, please call Global Rescue. 
John broken arm, ribs, internal bleeding. Fell 70 foot crevasse. Climbed out. Himlung camp two. He posted, please hurry. And it worked. Yep. Because somebody that was a co-founder of the page named Rebecca Cole was living in Hawaii. Oh. So the time difference was a little bit different for her. Uh-huh. So she was about to look at this before she went to bed and she saw the message and she was like, oh shit. So she and her husband, uh, who had helped co-found that Facebook page, started um, trying to get rescue helicopters to, um, to John. While and his friends were still His down. friends were still at the base camp and didn't know what was going on. So she began pinging messages across the globe looking for someone to help him. Uh, all was spending the longest night of his life uh, in his tent on Mount Himlung. His throat, hey, he could have been in the crevasse still. He could be in the crevasse and he's not. He was parched, but he only had one arm working, so he couldn't open his fucking water bottle. Oh, the worst. Oh so God. there's like water in there. It's ready to go, but you can't open it. Yeah. So it needs to be redesigned. I mean, that's when you need the one that you just with your teeth, you pop it open. It was probably the heavy, I'm sure it was the heavy duty one. Yeah. So he said he sucked down two energy gels and tried to cover his body with his sleeping bag. And he said, he said he lay dazed and in pain in the dark. And he said, finally light outside began to change. The sun was creeping in and all of the sudden he heard a helicopter. Yes. So he had laid on his back for 18 hours. His broken body was tense and he could barely move. Like he was basically like, yeah. Um, All of a sudden the tense door unzips and a Nepali rescuer poked his head through the flap. The rescuer dragged him out on a sleeping mat and hauled him into the helicopter. So um, it went twisting through the Himalayas and all finally allowed uh, relief to flood him. So he was like, finally like I'm going to live. Cause at this point, like before that he didn't know. Um, so he recovered from his injuries and he felt like part of him never escaped the crevasse. Oh. But he talked freely about Did his... Did he climb f- again? Well, you'll get to that. Get ready. Okay. He talked freely about his friend, the Sherpa's death mm-hmm. um, and his own escape. But he kept, he kept saying that it was very raw and overwhelming. And he said, I actually had to keep it in the third person so that I could tell the story. Um, in March 2015, almost a year after his near-death experience... Um, he visited Rebecca Cole in Hawaii, the woman who had pings. And yeah, um, he was physically healed, but he was still, he still hadn't gone hiking in the mountains again because he was still so scared. Yeah. Um, so she took a week off of work and she took John on as many hikes as she could. Um, as, as long as he was physically able to handle them. And one day they, they climbed Mauna Loa, the largest volcano in the world. As they trekked, it began to snow, a rarity in tropical Hawaii. Soon they were breaking through three feet of snow on their way to the summit. And he said, being in the snowy mountains again for the first time since the accident made me feel happy and at peace. And it marked the beginning of my true recovery. Like, so he hadn't really recovered up until this Mm -hmm. point because he was still so shaken. But being in the snow again and being on this mountain and getting to the summit, he was like, okay, this, I do love this. This is great. Mm -hmm. So he's now a research professor at Western Washington University. Um, he has a, he's looking to fulfill a lifelong desire to train the next generation of climber scientists, um, at the mountain environments research Institute, which he founded in 2016. And he said, we all have dreams, but we usually say, I'll do it when I get a chance lying on that mountain. I realize you only get one chance to live. And that is a story of John all who oh survived God. the crevasse, the crevasse fall. 
dun, 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 dun. And it was almost, almost like the Hawaiian or the ho, um, Hawaiian, Hawaiian, the Hawaiian. You. Listen, I've chugged two glasses of wine while you're reading that story. <laughs> Kenny made me do it. It's his fault. I love it. Um, it was like a sign from his friend that he lost. That's how I took it. Yeah. Like, it was almost like. I'm amazed there's three feet of snow in Hawaii. Right? At, at the summit of this mountain. That's volcano. crazy. That's yeah. why it was I didn't a, even it was think it snowed in Hawaii. I think on the summit of some of these That's big insane. volcanoes. But not very often. It sounds no, like it either. sounds like it's pretty rare. So I don't know. Maybe it was like a sign from above. It was. Oh. What's a sh- do you know what a Sherpa is? A sheep herder? Sheep- oh, is that what it is? Isn't it? Isn't it like the, the thing I'm wearing right now? Isn't this Sherpa? Yeah, that's why I think it's a sheep herder. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. I think it is. Oh, okay. I don't know. We'll look it up. I bet you it is. If but, any of you are a Sherpa, let us know. It makes sense. I just wasn't 100% yeah. sure. I'll so what exactly that was. Okay. okay. Great. All right. So that's my story. That's great. Good old Reader's Digest. Reader's Digest. Comes through every time. God, the best. I don't remember where I got my story, but it is copy and pasted from multiple sources sherpa is an ethnic group native to the mountainous <gasps> regions of nepal well now i feel like a dick <laughs> a sheep <laughs> i was buying but you know what i was really buying it. did you like how i said and it was such... you a shirt <laughs> sherpa <laughs> did you like how i was like well like yeah. i google sherpa the first things that come up are sherpa hoodie sherpa yeah. pullover sherpa vest like i had to google sherpa person and <laughs> come up with what it was What's well her? it's not sheep herders well it's great great he was a lovely sherpa man and great got it. okay i'm sorry if i offended anyone with my <laughs> stupidness <laughs> well at least you had like some idea as to what maybe it could have been i didn't even i think i just that, thought so. sherpa looked like sheep mm. and then yeah anyway go ahead i'm ready um, great so uh this is the survival story of nigel brennan mm-hmm. and amanda linhout Great. Ever heard of them? No. Great. <laughs> Ever um, heard of it? <laughs> Ever heard of it? Okay. So it was August 23rd, 2008, and Australian photojournalist Nigel and his colleague Amanda, who was 26 at the time, they were in Somalia mm-hmm. to capture um, images of the war tour country mm-hmm. at the time, which mm-hmm. I think it still is. And Amanda was a citizen from Canada, and Nigel was the citizen from um, Australia. And prior to this, she had worked as a cocktail waitress on the side and used her tip money to help fund these freelance photojournalist trips. So mm-hmm. this was like her dream, and it was his dream, and they were both fo- they were freelancers, and then they would be hired by like the state of Israel to come out and, you know, shoot photos or whatever of whatever. Okay. So, um, let's see. Da, da, da. So they were in Somalia and, um, they were three days into their one week trip. And this is East Africa. If you didn't know, cause I had to look it up cause I wasn't quite sure where Somalia was. I wasn't a hundred percent sure. So thank you. Um, <laughs> and they were, um, stopped by a vehicle while they were on their way to a refugee camp. So they were on their way to refugee refugee camp and they were trying to take images of this camp because it had just been, um, the camp had just been overtaken or in some type of battle or so they were sent here to take pictures and their, their vehicle was stopped on the way and um, they were told during the stop that the two security guards that were with them could no longer stay with them in their car. They weren't given a reason. They were just saying, they were just told that, hey, these two guys that have been with you for the past three days, they can no longer go on the next leg with you. But in three miles, you'll get two more security guards that will join you. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Right. So 
they had been around, like they had traveled together before on different tasks and stuff and journeys or whatever, but they were like, okay, that's fine. Like, well, it's three miles. Who cares? That's like how long of a drive? Five right. minutes? Unless you're crawling, in which case it could take you five <laughs> Could take five you days. Who two knows? hours. Okay. Um, so they knew the risk and they knew that there were, um, you know, there's a lot of danger in the area, but they, this is what they were told. So they believed them. So they kept driving to the next camp. And um, as they almost reached the three mile mark, they, a car was passing them and their lights were flashing. So they thought that this was the new vehicle with the new security team. So they pulled over and stopped and um, 12 men got out of the vehicle. That's too many. That's not security. Too many. And they all were carrying AK-47s. Nope. <laughs> I have to say, being overseas, if you, like a lot of police security and just Carry regular people have like AK-47s AK just yes. running around. Even in Jamaica. Like when I went to Jamaica. Yeah. And you're Italy. entering the hotel and there's like Italy. two guards with AK-47s and you're like, oh. That seems aggressive. I feel safe. Not really. <laughs> the fact that you have to have those outside of our hotel is a little scary to me. Yep. So there were 12 of them mm -hmm. and they all had their own guns. Mm. So they were, um, so Nigel and Amanda, they pointed the guns at them and they were instructed to get in their car and they were officially taken as hostages at that point. No. Ugh. So they drove 30 to 40 minutes and they were taken to a dilapidated compound Oh, God. Just run down. Of just, course. You know, just in the middle of nowhere, be. you know. Fuck. Um, they were put in one room together, which was a good thing. And the other two people that were with them were two translators were put in another room. Mm -hmm. And um, they were said that they were being accused of being spies. Oh. And that um, Nigel said in an interview that it took him almost 12 hours to realize that this was real. Like, he knew what was happening, but he was also like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, I can't believe I allowed myself to be put in this situation and also that it's happening. Um, so there was a little bit of disbelief at first. Uh -huh. um, the kidnappers were asking for 1.5 um, million U.S. dollars in ransom. Hmm. So the thing about Canada and Australia is they don't pay ransoms. Which I didn't know that. So Amanda was from Canada and Nigel was from um, Australia. Does so. the U.S. pay ransoms? I don't know. That's a good question. I'll look it up. I'm yeah. curious. Yeah, Can but I? Canada and Australia refuse to. Okay. They will not do it. Yikes. For their citizens. Um, so during this, once they realized that they had a $1.5 million ransom on their heads. A bounty. A bounty. <laughs> Nigel felt super guilty. His parents had just retired. Oh. And that he knew that this would obviously reach them and yeah. they would do whatever it took to try to get him out. And he just knew the stress that he was about to put on his family. Amanda came from a low income family back in Canada. They did not have these kinds of funds or the connections to bring Secure. in this money. Yeah. And so she also had the fear in the back of her mind, like I'm going to die because there's no one that's going to pay this ransom and they couldn't pay the ransom for me. Um, so days turned into weeks and we're now at five months. Five months? Five months. God damn it. Yeah. Um, they're still in captivity. At first, during this point, they were pretty well taken care of, if you want to say that. Like, it was a little bit, you know, they were given clean water. They were given food. Um, they weren't necessarily abused or tortured at this point. Um, so they had it, in, in regards to being in captivity, it was pretty, uh, an okay situation. Right. Um, but the captors were getting very impatient because it had been five months. Yeah. Um, so Nigel's family at the time had managed to scrape up $25,000, which 
I mean, you're asking for 1.5. That's not a lot, but mm-hmm. and Amanda's family had no had none. So um, one night the kidnappers came in and they took Amanda in the middle of the night from their room and took her out in the middle of the desert and tortured her and then put her on the phone with her mother. And the phone call, which we won't play, it's very disturbing. And she's just in distress and crying and basically pleading for her life and asking her mom to pay the ransom and the money. And all her mom is can say is we're, we're trying. We're doing the best we can. And her, she just sounds so... Um, desperate and in despair in the call, and it's very, very disturbing. Oh, God. Um, so after that, uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. So this is when Nigel and Amanda make the decision that they have to escape or they're not going to get out. Mm-hmm. So they notice that there are bars in the bathroom window, uh, metal bars, and they notice that one of them is loose. Ooh. And the captors also go to midday prayer every day. And... Um, Nigel and Amanda are in the same room at this point still. And Nigel's like, listen, let's chip away at this bar. We'll it, you know, it'll take us a couple weeks, but let's, let's get it even more. Like it wasn't able to be removed, but we can work it out. And then let's find a way to get out of this, jump out this window when they're in midday prayer. So a couple weeks pass and every single day they use the restroom, they go in and they chip away at the mortar and eventually they're able to loosen one of the bars. Oh yeah. Um, so they loosen it and then they put it back in place so nobody notices. Mm-hmm. And then the next day when the captors go to midday prayer, which, what the fuck? How are you going to midday prayer and you have these people in your house? Like, well, I mean, you can't, you can't stop religion. I know. I'm just saying like, you, you clearly, Agreed. you're bad people. You're bad people. Don't mm-hmm. even try. So they end up, they go to midday prayer. They go to the, re- Amanda and Nigel go to the restroom they jump out of the window at this point, mm-hmm. and they, they're free. Yeah, they, they hit the ground, jump out of the window, and they're like, okay, now what? Like, they don't know where they are. They don't right. know where to go. Like, they're looking for a mosque or, like, some type of refuge place to go. But, again, they don't, they're not familiar with the area. They'd only been there three days prior. And then one of the little neighbor boys sees them Uh-oh. and starts screaming. No! In Somali. And he's like, whatever that language is. Little he was boy. Just, he was like you know they're free they're free like yelling and apparently the midday prayer um session is close to where this little boy is so the captors hear him screaming Uh oh and so nigel and amanda take off and they're just running they don't know where they're running but they're running well they see a church yes so they run into the church and it was pure chaos because again it's midday mass so everyone's praying and they run in and um, Nigel said in an interview, it was really hard because the people in the church were good people. Like they were normal citizens. They don't want these terrorists in their town. And um, they were trying to protect them. Like they all huddled around them and like were trying to hide them. Well, the captors found them because they, they were chasing them. And they broke into the church. And technically you're not allowed to, once you you know get into the church, you're not allowed to be taken out for, um, what's it called? Like a Salem or... Asylum. Uh, asylum, thank you. Mm-hmm. So... They didn't care. So they came up with their guns. Yeah, they're terrible and, people. Yeah, they were like beating around these these civilians. And um, the captors ended up dragging Amanda and Nigel out of the church. No. And they put them back in the car. Amanda got beat up a little more than Nigel. And from this point on, they were separated. Mm. They weren't allowed to. They were brought back to the dilapidated building or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they were put in separate rooms. They were chained up. Um, so I lost my place. Hold on. Um, let's see. Okay. So more than anything, this was a huge embarrassment to the captors. Like they were 
super embarrassed. So now one of them had to pay. So Amanda was from this point on tortured, raped, um, and just treated very, very poorly from, you know, five months out. And, um, they also were given dirty water. They were starved. Like it turned from an okay, like an, a livable situation to a awful situation. Yeah. And she knew at one point, like she had thought about committing suicide at one point, And she just was like, this isn't going to end well for me. Like, and Nigel could hear everything cause he was in the next room. So it was hard for him. And it sounds like they were dating, but it wasn't super clear in the stuff right. that I read, but I think they had had some romantic relationship, but I could be making that up too. So, they would, they were given a crayon to, you know, pass the time with, and they would send messages back and forth in the crayon. So they would write like numbers on the front of it or mm-hmm. engrave numbers on the front, maybe with like their thumbnail or something. And then it would reference a page in the crayon. And then, so let's say Nigel wrote the number 47 on the book, and then he would then give it to Amanda or have it passed to Amanda through one of the guards. And then on page 47, he would underline certain words so they could communicate. Mm. And he said that he would always try to like underline funny stuff to keep it light for her because he could hear what she was going through. And he was like, I just did whatever. It's so bizarre that they chose the woman to torture. I know. And I don't know why. I don't know if they thought maybe she, her parents had more money or they could get, I don't know. Or maybe she was an easier target. I don't, maybe. I don't know. That's bullshit. Um, Or I feel like if they tortured her, they could also get to him. Yeah. We're like, and they could hurt her more than they could hurt him. Um, which he all, so basically all he was trying to do was lift her spirits. Mm-hmm. And, um, at this point when they were passing the crayon, they had been in captivity for a year. Mm. So now we're at month 12. Ugh. Um, but one day in November of 2009, uh, Nigel and Amanda were told that they were being moved to another location. And Nigel then thought to himself, like, okay, here we go. Like, this is it. They're finally going to kill us. Like they haven't got the ransom. It's been over 12 months and they're finally going to just do away with us. So, um, he, he made a comment how he removed his ankle chains and that they had been on for so long that there was like markings and it was just a very hard thing for them to even get them off at that point. Um, so they were taken into the car, both of them together for the first time and they drove about 30 minutes and they were placed into another vehicle and they drove a couple more miles. And as they were driving, they noticed all of these people grouped together and they all had guns. Again, stupid AK-47s apparently. That's like the gun of choice. And um, there were like 20 civilians and Nigel prepped for the worst and he said that, um, okay, this is it. We're going to die. And he you know, said his goodbyes to Amanda and he was like, here we go. Well... They both started crying, and the driver made a comment. And it was like, "Why are you so upset? You're being free. You're set free. Like you're you're free. Someone paid your ransom." And they both didn't believe it. They lost it. Like they were just like, "What? No, you're you're me- you're messing with us. Whatever." So the car ended up going to a hospital, where they were greeted by their family. Oh my god! And the one million dollar man uh, ransom had been paid for them, so it wasn't one point five. It was one million. And um, they ended up surviving fifteen months in ca- in captivity overall. Oh my God. So, um, they obviously had a long period afterwards where they had to, you know, get reacclimated with society. Nigel said that he had a lot of issues with sounds and sights and like loud noises and stuff because they were held in that room for so long. And, um, oddly enough, both of them had not, they haven't spoke 
since to each they, other? Yeah, since they got out of captivity, which I thought was kind of strange. But, I mean, to each their own, I've never been through that. But um, Nigel has since released a book called The Price of Life. And Amanda actually learned after she was let out that um, a local Canadian philanthropist. 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 Therapist. Philanthropist. <laughs> Kenny's losing it. Pissed. <laughs> Kenny, it's your fault. You made me drink wine. <laughs> a, Canadian, Kenny, a, a Canadian philanthropist. No. Nope. can't say it, you guys. <laughs> a Canadian charity person. A very generous man. Yes. <laughs> donated um, $750,000 to help get Amanda out. Get the fuck out. That's amazing. It was amazing. this sweet baby 72-year-old man who basically said in an interview that I just had a lot of money and I didn't have anything to spend it on and I feel like I could help save someone's life. Oh so my he God. donated all this money. Amazing. What a great philanthropist. A philanthropist. <laughs> a there th- you go. A philanthropist. You said it right that time. A philanthropist. Nope. Stop trying. Stop. You got <laughs> it right one time. A charitable man. Okay. <laughs> a very charitable man. Yes. So um, I thought that was really sweet that he did that, clearly. So um, Amanda then went on to write a memoir called A House in the Sky, which was actually New York, one of New York Times best, on this I've bestseller list. Have you? Mm-hmm. And she is a public speaker and um, is doing very well now. The man who orchestrated the kidnapping and ransom was caught and sentenced to 15 years. That's it. In I'm Can- sorry. In Canadian prison, which... I can't imagine it's too extremely rough. I don't know. Right. I just those like Canadians are too nice. They're they're too nice. So I feel like it's. You know, but we love you. But I would rather him be in like a Somalian prison. But okay. <laughs> right. So fifteen years, and then um, this was this all happened ten years after the captivity. So it took a while to track him down and find right. out who like was the mastermind or whatever. And both Nigel and Amanda did show up at the trial and gave tes- testimony. To help put him behind bars for 15 years. Well, that's good. So that's the story of Amanda and Nigel. Damn. The um, Somalian captors for over a year. Wow. Yikes. I also feel like there's possibly, it's not a dateline, but there's also something like a documentary on this too that I did I, watch a long time ago. I was going to say, I feel like this sounds so familiar. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have watched something on it. I just don't know what it is or when it happened. But the lamp. F- nope, stop. The stop. Lamp, the frist. This is my favorite game. For <laughs> There you go. Ah, Kenny. Kenny, what's our weird news? Well, first off, uh, Ransom's in the United States. So from what I'm reading, the U.S. won't pay a ransom if the hostage is under a foreign ter- terrorist organization. But they will help negotiate if someone else is paying. So if Jenny's oh. taken hostage and me and Danelle are like, well, we got to get money. You're like, I'm America gonna, I'm will gonna, help us negotiate. What's that called when you raise money now? GoFundMe. A GoFundMe. You start a GoFundMe. I, I was going to say be a philanthropist. No, <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Uh, a GoFundMe page uh, for me to get released. Okay, perfect. Yeah. But if it's not a foreign terrorist organization, they will pay it. Like criminal organizations and armed political groups. So I guess like if you're kidnapped by a mob... They'll pay it? Like the mob? Like, um, I don't know. I'm just thinking like a like New York mob or something. the casino mob? Yeah. <laughs> like the mob? Okay, great. So that's what I learned. Okay. So good, good to know. Good to know. 
Just don't get kidnapped by a foreign terrorist group. Great. Simple enough. GTK. Good to know. Good to know. Mm. The weird news of the week. Uh Uh-huh. A woman was running on a trail in California and ends up getting a very bad case of what? Hmm. The shits? (laughs) (laughs) Happens when you run. Um, I was going to say, uh... Chub rub also happens when you run. Chub rub. When you're a lady and you have thighs that are thicker, oh, Kenny, and you gotcha, run, gotcha, if your gotcha. thighs are sweating, you will get chub rub. Okay. Makes sense. Thank you. Uh, she got a bad case of eye worms. No. Ew. And more specifically, a cattle eye worm. Oh, remember we did a story what? once yes. with, you did a story what once. The f- it was in, someone what's who was like organ, right? Was, no, it was a bee. It was a bee. It was a bee, yeah. it was a bee in the eye. What's a so, cattle eye worm? So it's common in cows, like these basically like ringworms that grow in a, the eyes of cows. Nope. This She's the second person in the United States to get this cattle eye worm like in her eyes. And essentially doctors say if they didn't catch it quick enough, like she'd be going blind in the eye and probably would lose the eye. Like So Jenny. she was running and she ran into a group of flies that were like running around. And apparently like it implanted the eye worm into her eye and a month later she had had these like terrible pain and she looked and she saw a little worm like moving around in her eye what did she have blurry vision while she was trying to watch a movie <laughs> jenny <laughs> run so yeah That's apparently disgusting. uh scientists are worried that cattle eye worm is gonna become more common but it's only two so i feel like they're I feel pretty good about life right now then I, i'm not too it's worried only two. yeah uh did you guys hear about how people with eyelash extensions mm. are getting eye lice like Ooh. eyelash lice. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard that. So lice can you can get it in any hair on your body, including your eyelashes. And the thing about eyelash extensions, which Kenny, you probably don't know, no. but you can't wash that shit oh. because you'll you might you might ruin the extension. Meaning before they put them on you, or no after. after. So, so you have to like when you wash your face, you wash around. You can never. <gasps> You can splash them with water. You can go in the pool, but you're not really supposed to wash them. Oh. And so what happens is, like, if something gets on there, you're not washing your eyelashes. So it just, like, it becomes a breeding ground for, like, sick shit to grow in your eyelashes, like lice. So So does that make you think twice about getting eyelash extensions again? Okay. I had them for a I had them. I had them for a summer. They look great. Thank you. I get why people want them. Um, but. I feel like the funny thing is I, I really feel like I have nice eyelashes. They're mm-hmm. just blonde. Mine are too. So it's I like they're pain. really long and they're really luscious, but you can't see the fuck out of them because they're see-through, basically. Yeah. So unless I have mascara on, nobody knows what's going on. Same with my brows. Same with my brows. What are we talking about? We're the about? same person. I yeah, know. basically. One's blonde, one's red, but in the end... Nobody can see your no, eyes. Nobody cares. In the end, nobody cares. <laughs> in the end, nobody gives a shit. Um, okay, well, thanks for listening. We Thank hope you. you guys will tune in next week. We've been getting some really great reviews, so keep them coming. Yeah. You know, if you leave us a review and you screenshot it, we'll send you a sticker. And they're big. That's all. They're big and beautiful, just like us. <laughs> Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, it's Jenny from Sip, Survive, Repeat, and we love our listeners, but we want to get some more ratings and reviews. So if you guys could log on to Apple Podcasts and then give us a rating and a review, we'll send you 
a sticker. All you need to do is send us a screenshot of your rating and your review to either our email, sipsurviverepeat at gmail.com, or direct message us, or DM us as the kids like to say, on any social media. So all you have to do again is rate and review on Apple Podcasts and take a screenshot of that and send it to us at one of the channels I just mentioned. And we'll send you a Sip, Survive, Repeat sticker. And it's big, you guys. Size of your hand at least. So again, send it to us and we'll see you soon.